everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Heart of It. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm so incredibly grateful to be your host for this episode and all of our episodes on the podcast. And today, I'm super excited because I'm able to bring to you my close friend, Tony Hernandez, once again. Hello, everybody. Um, Tony, I introduced him last year uh, on the Grateful Showcase, Mm -hmm. and um, we've also done lots of Facebook Live videos. I think if there's anyone who's driven uh, my Facebook Live career, (laughs) it has been Tony Hernandez. Um, But yeah, so uh, we wanted to come together and do this very special series for you, and we're kicking it off today with this episode, which is really going to lay the foundation for the next three that are coming into play. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had been playing with the idea of talking about reflection on the podcast, uh, even though it's a common theme that's kind of threaded throughout it, but really just calling it out and talking about the skill set that it is and the powerful tool that it is. And when I was thinking about it, it didn't make sense to do it without you. Um, And that's predominantly because of what we did together in state college. Yeah. Um, So we had the privilege of Mm co-facilitating which i wish would happen more frequently but i think it will it will it will (laughs) with our schedules it's becoming more challenging for those things to happen but i think that makes it even more special when it does happen um and that was something that we kind of designed it came alive and it had some really cool magical moments there yeah um, and so do you want to share a little bit about your thoughts about what happened there and why why the word magic is what's used to describe yeah. that presentation? Sure. So, I mean, I remember when you posed the idea like months and months ago about presenting at the State Sherm Conference. And for me, it was saying hell yeah to something um, in my own you know, as I'm journeying in this whole sphere of, I was going to say entrepreneurship, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, you know, growing a business and sort of putting out your work out there because you, you strongly believe that this will benefit others because of the transformation you have experienced personally. So when you, when you invited me to co-create that opportunity, I was like, oh yeah, this will be awesome. Um, and beginning to visualize like what could be possible when we put together our skill set and talents. Um, so that was the initial seed of it of like, oh, this will be really cool to do together. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the day arrived, um, just for me, so for me, it was the first time I ever attended. Um, a SHRM conference. So being in a different uh, industry, different audience, you know, different conference experience, while unique, there's still commonalities in other conference experiences. Um, You know, so I really was just kind of just sort of, I'm going to steep in this whole experience and see what happens, really just be in the moment. um, And, you know, and give of service, give of service to the people who were meant to show up and not really have any expectation because for, for my, for, and I, again, I speak for myself in my prior, <laughs> prior editions of Tony Hernandez. Um, I used to be very judgmental about expectation. It needs, this has to be the way, this is what's going to happen. You know, I'm doing this so that you do this. 
um, and really just shift from that perspective, you know, and what is possible will happen, you know, and that who's meant to be there is meant to be there and what unfolds is meant to unfold and really just sort of kind of ride the wave of the experience, you know, Mm -hmm. really just be present in the experience. So that's, that was what I was holding for myself Mm -hmm. at the start of that day. Um, And then watching you and Mary Rose, you know, get your, your table, your vendor table set and sort of seeing again, some of the behind the scenes of, of how you're supporting other people in, in their craft and skill of what they do as best HR professionals um, and then seeing the opening keynote and then going mm-hmm. off and getting ourselves ready like tuning so that was very appreciative of exiting you know from the main hall going up to our room and beginning that 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 practice of taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. first and foremost so that we can then really then hold space for those who arrive when it was time for them to be there. Um, and as people were filtering in and kept filtering in and kept filtering in and seeing the room to the point where then there was standing room, you know, by the time we started was really, really phenomenal. Um, and, you know, just then sort of, releasing to see what would happen, Mm -hmm. which was really, it was, yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, I have to be honest that when I invited you a couple months back, it was because of fear. Uh I mean, this was the first presentation I was doing that was somewhat rooted to the book. Yes. That was deeply ingrained in who I am and, very vulnerable moments for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that moment when you're talking about people coming in, <laughs> I really was sitting there going, what if there's only five? Right. But I knew that you would be able to reposition my perspective back to the five that show up or the five that yes. are supposed to be there. Yes. And I actually was okay with that. I yeah. was okay with if three showed up, we're right. going to have this incredible kind of experience. And in fact, the opposite happened for me when the room started to fill up. Right. I was like, what? Why are they all coming in yeah. here? <laughs> this was just a small, intimate experience. I wrote the blurb so that it would kind of freak some of you out and not all show up. Right, right. But I think that speaks to the need that is uh-huh. out there and the timeliness of this topic, which is why we're doing this special mm-hmm. series today. Um because really what was at the core of that presentation was inspiring others to reflect and start to scratch the surface. Right. Um, my book was heavy reflection. It happened to happen. It happened to happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the perfect time when I actually was finishing up and starting to do coaching with you, which brought a whole nother dynamic to what I started to unleash through that writing process. Um, and so I really do kind of look at you as a SME when it comes to reflective practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and my subject matter expert, for those of you that don't know that acronym, uh, as my thanks training. Thanks for sharing, yeah. My training. <laughs> that's a, one of those training terms that we use out there. Um, but really somebody that I go to because you have this uncanny ability to hold space uh, and and turn it into whatever it needs to be for somebody to go to that place where they need to during reflective practice, right. which is a, it's, it's an art. And I don't know if that's what you did with kindergartners for the 20 years that you did that, but whatever, it is a magical art and people can just feel it. 
Um, yeah, you're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> um, others, you're not the first who has, has said that, and I just, it, I appreciate it. Um, and it, it makes me think about my own winding path journey mm-hmm. of how I have arrived or landed at this current sort of intersection in my life. Um, and again, at the moment, it's not always feeling it, and you can relate to this, but now as I have been at this part of my journey, our lives and the experiences in our lives, I would say, they, they do craft us, mm-hmm. you know, they craft us. Um, and then when we get to a certain level of self-awareness of what happened in our formative years, then we become kind of like the, um, the artist, if you will, mm-hmm. or the sculptor that takes sort of that raw material and refine it even better. Um, you know, and we've shared this, I think, in our other previous podcast. Um, you know, I grew up with a parent who suffered from bipolar disorder, my father, um, and he was he was actually involuntarily committed for the one week after I was born. Um, and so just the other week, I was at my mom's apartment and she was sharing some other stories that have surfaced for her. And again, like thinking about, you know, at the, at the time I didn't understand sort of the heightened environment that we lived in. Um, but over that, over that experience, it's what led me to first become a teacher, you know, just, I always, I don't know why, but I mean, like I was always just asking questions. I mean, I can remember as a very little kid, just always ask. And kids do it by nature. We're we're trying to make meaning of our world constantly. Um, and so, one of the reasons I decided to become a teacher was I recognized there were certain beliefs and certain things I was told to believe that I didn't know why you know, I needed to start figuring that out. And so the reason I stepped into education was there has to be another way that children can be treated with dignity. I wasn't, I knew enough that I wasn't being treated with dignity, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's sort of that step. Um, Plus I didn't have patience for kids actually. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But I felt compelled to want to help people, you know, that just always was there innately. Um, and when I, when I decided to, to go into education, you know, kindergarten was the furthest from my mind. Um, <laughs> I saw myself as a, like an elementary upper level, mm-hmm. maybe middle school. Um, but and, and I truly believe, you know, people like you shared at the at the um, state conference in state college that there are there are people who are gifted into your life at precisely the time for you to shift. And monumentally, it may not, but it's like the first start. And so Pam Manilius was that shift. Um, I got assigned to her as my cooperating teacher for a field placement. And it was in a kindergarten class. And I was like, 
there is no way. There is no way that, you know, what am I going to, how am I going to relate to these little tiny people and things like that? And I was really, really scared. I was really, really scared, you know, because there's no filter. Little kids, you know, they're just, they're out. They're just raw and real and authentic, you know. Um, and I was like, what am I going to do? And so... The, those first couple of days that I went to go spend time in her class, whatever she asked me to do, I did. Um, I was very shy, believe it or not. <clears throat> and I don't know what it was, um, but she mentioned to me, she's like, Tony, you really should consider. She's like, you just are so patient. And part of it was me just being patient with myself mm-hmm. because I didn't know you know, I'm like, let me just really just kind of observe and watch, notice. But that's, I've always had to be that way because in our home environment, you know, especially during our dad's, when he was in a manic episode or, you know, starting to decompensate, you know, we were always on eggshells. You just never, so that sort of, practice if you will mm-hmm. I mean I've been doing it from a very young, mm-hmm. from a very young age because you just never knew at any moment like are we going to get calm dad are we going to get manic dad are we going to get sneaky dad like and also um also being very for me anyway I can't speak for my brothers but for myself I was always then having to be very mindful in the way that I delivered or communicated, you know, would say things to my dad. And, and, and so it was just always, always there, always ever present. So I just kind of used those skills mm-hmm. then in this new environment. And I thought, okay. Um, and it was the first time another person outside of my family, my immediate family who saw something in me, mm. you know, um, and I thought, she sees something that I can, you know, cultivate into something for this, for, for, and to be, to use as a benefit in teaching. And so that sort of, that's what launched me then into my teaching career. And, um, and people would say that often, you know, other um, faculty um, administrators, when they would come observe, you just, you're just so calm, you're just mm-hmm. so... And in that journey, too, for me, again, was then starting to dismantle my own judgments around young children, you know, um, and then being the responsible adult and creating the environment. Like, what do I need to make sure I'm doing so that they they can flourish? And it was that was the journey I was on during that period. And so in that time and spending so much time with kids, yes, I had what people perceived as infinite amounts of patience. But then when I left that space, when I would go back into my life, you know, go back home and and be husband and father, and I had no patience for adults. Mm -hmm. I had no patience for adults. I was very quick, (laughs) you know, like you should know better. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm spending all this time, you know, really holding space for our youngest of people and giving them ample time and space to just, you know, learn, you know, like learn and to be, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't do that with adults. Mm. 
And so um, I became very impatient with adults. And, you know, you could, you know, my wife would tell you early on in our relationship, like, if we were out and about somewhere, um, you know, I was the more assertive one in some aspects, which people find hard to believe. (laughs) Um, But anyway, um, and I say that all because then in the next, you know, big monumental shift in my professional path, um, at the latter years of my teaching career, um, I was just very empty. Mm. Um, You know, I, you know, by this point, I would have been teaching 20 plus years And it was automatic, you know, like I did it, you know, I would set up my classroom and I had a, 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 I had a tried and true way Mm -hmm. of building community with my students and things like that. Um, But what I lacked was a sense of belonging or connection to a greater purpose with my fellow colleagues. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, while you're spending day with children, teaching is a very isolative type of job um it's not like other professions and that you know you would think you know that that oh you're you know you get to play you get to and yes those are there Mm -hmm. um but there's no generative way that the adults in that space can replenish you know you're giving out social emotional capital to your students day Mm -hmm. in and day out And then there's nothing to sort of replenish that back, you know, to celebrate your triumphs, you know, lean on someone around your challenges. What can we motivate to Mm. do the next day? You know, there was nothing like that. Um, And I thought, why is this this way? You know, what can there has to be a better way to really help teachers stay continued in their purpose? You know, we go into the profession to give of service, you know, and to mm-hmm. help cultivate the next, you know, productive citizens of our society. And, um, but yet we are on our journey still. We, we have to also be in the practice of, you know, dismantling prior beliefs, learning new beliefs, and continuing to just hone our practice and be well, be, you know, full so that mm-hmm. you can be there for your students and, and, there's very little out there. And again, this is from my perspective. And that was the nudge for me to step out of the classroom um, and take this big risk um, mm-hmm. and think about how can I still give up service, but no longer the students, but really be with, you know, teachers and school leaders that are there to really give of service to the students Mm -hmm. and again, develop that generative practice reflection, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, self-awareness, you know, those types of skills that keep you going. Cause it's, it really, in, from my journey, my, the lesson that I've learned and recognize is that, you know, our beliefs then our beliefs sort of drive our thoughts and then our thoughts drive our behavior. And when I, you know, in my, in my judgmental periods of my life, I had certain beliefs about things, which then enacted the way I behave towards myself and others. 
And as I changed those, then things changed as well. And that to me is like, was the aha moment, the big Mm -hmm. moment. Like we, it is within ourselves to, to change beliefs so that they change our thoughts and change our behaviors, Mm -hmm. you know, and that all comes from that reflective, to me, the foundation of that is self-reflection or self-awareness that, that, that contemplative practice, um, and to just own, here's what I think or believe now. And from this experience, it's changed. This is what I still believe. And this is what I can change, you know, those types of things. Um, so yeah. What a beautiful story and illustration of not only you know, leading the conversation saying that you're my go-to for reflective practice and talking about how that has come alive in your life, Mm -hmm. that you serve as a model and helps to allow you to hold that space because it has been present through most, if not all of your life, um, materializing. Now, one of the things that you talked about is your uh, early interest in asking questions Uh Um, and you do have, you are a true artist at asking <laughs> questions. That's just, uh, you know, that's why you're phenomenal as a coach because you can do that. Um, and I remember the first time I met you and you gave me your business card or your first official yes, business yes. card. Cause there was like an, a transition, transition yes. business card. <laughs> yes. Um, but when you gave me your first official one, you had listed the title of inner research guide. Mm-hmm. And I remember my first instinct was that I was very super jealous that I didn't think of that awesome title first. (laughs) But as I have come to know you and talking about your ability to ask those questions, you really are. um, You are almost a researcher into other people, even though you are guiding them through the process. But you are you are like when you were coaching me, I felt like you were conducting research on me, even though I was going through reflection cycles. You were helping me engage in them. You were building that sense of bond and yes. that community with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, talk a little bit about that. You, as an inner research guide, you kind of talked about the path and and it has led you to this place. You know, right. what are your specialty kind of niches? Because I know that you have the Simon Sinek book here, right? Uh, which changed my world when you introduced <laughs> it to me. Um, and there's a couple of others yeah. on there that you have introduced yeah. me to you that have changed. So tell us a little bit oh about boy. how that has kind mm-hmm. of morphed and, sure. and how you do this inner researching stuff. Sure, <laughs> sure. So it's funny. So the affinity of that term actually came, and I know we'll talk about this shortly, but I have to say it now, too, is that that arrived right at the time it needed to arrive. Um, and I would first heard the term inner research when I did my very first points of view training. And it like, you know, like, again, certain mm-hmm. moments, events, it, you know, like it just grabs you. And that was one of those moments like that, that term, I was like, that, that's what I'm doing. That's what I've been doing all of my life. That mm-hmm. is what I do. And it has stuck since then. Mm -hmm. And so when I was going through the evolutions of Tony as as a business, um, you know, starting my business. And again, I like to say edupreneur, (laughs) taking my education background and entrepreneur background together. um, I was like, you know, I was trying to play with different 
terms or, or what really speaks to me. And uh, I was like, I can call myself an inner research guide. That's what I do. It, it's, it keeps, you know, this lived experience as a teacher because I guide it. I, 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 I never felt like I was a teacher because to me, teaching is like imposing knowledge onto someone else without their their own will of owning yeah. it. You know, like, you know, and, and we do, that's one form. And I'm like, but I'm not that. I'm more of a facilitator, a guide, a coach, a this, yeah. that. And like, and I'm like, okay, what guide? And so guide was the word that resonated with me because to me, guide is like, you know, you're along with a learner and there's sometimes you do have to transmit. Um, there's sometimes you just are, you know, you know, you just offer a little bit and then sometimes you let the person go ahead, but you're kind of there, you know, just mm-hmm. a little bit behind. Um, and that that just felt better for me, you know, that mm-hmm. that I guide. I'm always in that space of guiding. Um, and so <clears throat> once I finally landed with inner research guide, again, that that felt good. And as I would go to events or networking spaces or things like that and people would ask me what I did um and at first it felt a little weird you know because you're you're you know changing your you know you're reinventing an identity if you will yeah um and you know it was easy to say oh I'm a teacher um but that wasn't no I was no longer that I was a a, a, I had evolved from that Mm -hmm. um and so Inner research guide was the the term that I I landed on. <laughs> so, what is the typical work that you find yourself doing with people to help them do their inner research? What are the most common things that you run into? Um. So, in this, let's see. I've been at this now for about two and a half years, and the the prevalent learning space I have been in so far have been like retreats, mm-hmm. um, development retreats, if you will, either for boards or, or groups of people who go to an institute. Um, and what I've enjoyed doing is, again, leaning on my early childhood background, creating a learning space that there's this co-guidance or co-coaching, mm-hmm. if you will, um, I, I field with the questions, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and just let people sort of process. And that's where I know some of my practice has come is reading, you know, reading the person or reading the room mm-hmm. um, and then being responsive to sort of that the, the rise and fall of of emotion, of conversation, dialogue, you know, resistance, acceptance, and again, just stepping in when needed and then, and then also stepping off when needed. Um, so most recently, I was sharing with Mary Rose this this morning, last Friday, I had an opportunity to facilitate the Understanding Differences Day for Leadership Lancaster. Okay. And um, 
there were 68 people, participants in the group, which is a, you know, it's a substantial group. And the beauty of that is, again, you sort of have designed or blueprinted the day. Mm -hmm. But again, I want people to really fully be in. Mm -hmm. And so what is meant to happen is meant to happen. So during the the experience, um, I had participants do an exercise called permission slip, which is a little bit from Brene. Mm -hmm. Um, She has them with their post-its. Yes, yes. Uh, So I invited the participants to choose a card that represented what they're going to give themselves permission Mm -hmm. to be able to be fully present during the day and gave them, again, you can choose it any of these ways. You can either choose by picture alone Mm -hmm. or choose by word alone or the combination. There's no right or wrong. And so one of the things for me in using, you know, the power of language or communicate, you know, speaking words, spoken word, is using words and phrases that, again, amplify the best in people, will we'll really kind of invite and encourage. Um, and that's taken a lot of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when they were done, I had them partner off with someone and this originally I hadn't designed it this way but for whatever reason I thought you know the the core value of this day is really for them to start building close relationships with each other this is their two there this was month two into the nine month experience Mm -hmm. Um, and so that kind of popped into my mind again as I'm holding the space for everybody And I thought, you know what, what would be good is for them to partner off with someone and at least with one person declare their permission. Mm -hmm. What are they going to give permission to for the day? And so they all partner off and they're talking and sharing with each other. And I thought, you know, this can't be the only time they need to reconnect throughout the day with this person they've now anchored this permission so now kind of built in an accountability partner so when we came to an end I said oh I I closed with the story forgiveness by the way which Mm -hmm. was powerful and then I said you know thank your partner but this won't be the last time you see each other so I want you to say hello to your check-in buddy throughout the day You know, you'll lean on one another and just check in with how you're going along with what you're giving yourself permission to. And it was at the end of the day and they had they had checked in with each other like three or four times throughout the day. And this was the final, final check in. I had them close with their check in buddy. And my co-facilitator came up to me and she's like, Tony, that was such an amazing idea. You know, I didn't even think for, you know. And that was a beautiful thing to see. Like, and to me, that's what reflection, when you have a practice, mm-hmm. again, you can then really be responsive to the environment. And that's what needed to happen mm. at that moment. And it was such a beautiful thing to see unfold, you know. Do you ever, I mean, when people think about reflection, number one, individually, uh-huh. there's a large amount of fear. If I'm someone who has not 
developed a reflective practice, I'm scared of what might come out. I know that we both hit that resistance quite a bit with organizations when we are talking about the awareness piece being what needs to happen. Um, And they go all over the gamut of thinking of the worst possible things that can happen. And yes, we could hit trauma. We could hit. That's always a possibility. Um, In the last, my gosh, whatever, three or four years that I've been doing this, Mm -hmm. um, I maybe have hit it a handful of times. um, And that person has already dealt with it in their past. Um, So it's not like it's something that's like, I've never had it where it's this fresh raw cut wound that's burst out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But what do you say to someone who's sitting there and they're like, this is all good hearing about you practicing and running with those spaces. So even if I'm a trainer or facilitator and I'm hearing what you're saying there, or I'm hearing about your path and your journey. And that's really great that you can articulate all of that. Um, but you don't understand my path or my journey or my organization, and you don't understand what possibly could come and be unleashed and what would happen. I mean, what would you say to that person who's, you know, on the fence and is listening and hoping that maybe they can find their way to reflection or having a sell them on it, but they're they're afraid because fear is that powerful undertone Mm -hmm. for so many of us. That even was in both of our evolution stories before we got to where we are. Yeah. I mean, so right away when you were sharing that, like right away, I thought, again, I started like the little moments that I experienced that same thing, the dissonance, the, 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 like the physical reaction of no, you don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, I have only, you know, this has only been my experience. No one else has experienced. You don't understand. I've had those moments too. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting because, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we work with individuals or with groups and we, we witness it happening prior to my own growth, if you will, when those things would happen, um, I felt the need to try to convince the person, no, I am better than you, mm-hmm. you know. And now, because of my own inner research work, if you will, I have, I've, I've been able to, um, you know, that's when silence sometimes helps in the best of way, like recognizing the, the, the resistance or dissonance that's happening and letting that emotional tidal wave run its course as it needs to. Um, and then also, again, there's that piece of self-awareness mm-hmm. um, where you're also in, in, you know, just doing a pulse check of where that resistance is landing in your own reaction, you know. Um, and... Uh, you know, practicing patience. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and sometimes what I have done is do a check-in. I, I call it check-in. And this, again, this was an example at a, it was at a, at a staff meeting, but I noticed a person in the group really, really, having a reaction to to the exercise um 
And so I went over, and again, in my, so in my awareness, starting to, okay, I, I notice how her behavior is landing on me. Um, mm-hmm. And just owning that that's, what, that's a judgmental reaction. I'm making a judgment right now about what I said and then her reaction to what's been asked. Mm. And then just to watch to see what happens. Um, <clears throat> and then as it continued, then again, first self-processing, like this is, you know, I'm... And one of the, (laughs) you're going to laugh when I tell you this. Um, So when I am triggered or when I feel like in the environment there's a person or if I'm even with a one-on-one coach and they say or do something that you're showing the resistance um, and, and it's landing on me poorly, my nostrils really start to flare out. That's, that's a physical that's when I know in myself, like, I'm starting to get upset or angry mm-hmm. um, with the way what I've said or done is landing on that, you know. So, um, and so when I feel that, then I know to give myself some, mm-hmm. some wait time. And then, you know, breathing is helpful. Um, and so in this occasion, I was there, you know, I got mm-hmm. to that point. And so I knew I needed to then check in, but then check in from a place where I was acknowledging where the person was at. And so this was, this was pearls of wisdom I got when I was still teaching. We had a facilitator come in and say, like, assume nothing and honor, like, honor the approximation and assume nothing. And I was mm-hmm. like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, you know, kids come, kids come with all different types of experience. And, and we do, too. Adults do, too. Mm-hmm. And so at that moment, it was like, you know, I recognize I made an assumption of her behavior, but now I need to acknowledge an approximation of her participation. So when I went to approach her... You know, it was in that coming from that space of just, again, starting where you are and see if I can bring her even just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I wanted to like bulldoze you to my side or this is, you know, and I didn't do that with kids. You know, it was Mm -hmm. always just a gentle little, um, you know, just a gentle little, you know, bridging all the time, bridging, bridging, bridging. And so I've learned that even for adults, we have to have that as well. Mm -hmm. And so I've made that commitment for myself when I'm either coaching one-on-one or, you know, facilitating a group that, you know, we come as we are. Mm -hmm. This is our beginning. And if we can nudge or move along, that is our intended purpose. Yeah. You know, and so with her, I... uh, you know, I acknowledged her laughter, you know, she was uproariously laughing and things like that. Um, and then I just asked her, I said, is there anything that you need in this moment so it can be possible you fully participate? Um, and she's like, I'll be okay, I'll be okay. Hmm. And I was like, all right. Um, and then so 
when she sort of continued, then going back and again accepting her where she is, I've noticed you have a partner now. What else do you need? Mm -hmm. Um, And coming from that place, um, that's been... It's interesting for me, leaning a lot on my, again, early childhood background and those sort of tenets or guiding principles, and they're no different. Yeah. The only difference is, as adults, um, we come into a learning space, like, what am I going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is the challenge, but I enjoy that challenge now um, because it helps me to refine my kind of guiding principles and see I just as much as I got, you know, like joy out of seeing kids get it. Like when Mm -hmm. they finally, like the light bulb comes on seeing that happen now when I'm coaching or working with groups, see that happen too. It's, it's just amazing. You know, it's um, interesting that you, brought up the examples that you brought up because I know when I was first introduced to reflective practice um, during my master's degree, like in formalized theory, um, I gravitated towards it because I saw the actual change in behavior that it was generating, Mm -hmm. uh, which fascinated me from an academic perspective because training on soft skills in a corporate environment, we basically are bucketed like if I made you feel good or I inspired you, I did my job really well. Right. For me, that was not satisfactory because I was not having an impact overall in the work environment. So for me, it was like you're paying me to be be basically a dog and pony show. Right. Um, But I remember my mentor at the time when I started to run into situations like that because I had these visions of these beautiful moments and that everyone's going to have these ahas and go through because that's what I remember about my reflective practice. Right. Even though there's some real ugly Mm -hmm. You like to reflect on these times where you have these beautiful ahas and you think about those endings. But when you're the facilitator and you're taking people through, you get these. I like how you use the word dissonance that happens. Um, And I remember asking my mentor because I was just at a loss. Like first couple times it happened, I I was like at a complete like I didn't even know what to say to the person. I was just like, okay, well, I can't force you to do that because you're a grown adult. And I just went about my business. And she said, do you realize what's happening under the surface? You're hitting fears. You're hitting discomfort on a level that they may have never experienced before. Um, And that generates really interesting reactions. You know, when we're uncomfortable, some of us laugh, some of us cry, some of us get angry. Um, And so now you have all those happening in a group setting and a coaching setting Uh and knowing that it has nothing to do with. You as a facilitator, as long as you're acting in service, and when we facilitate, we hold space, we're not pushing our beliefs on anyone, which is why you talked about that difference of trainer or instructor, which is when that's more so what we're doing. Um, And it is hard to kind of take that step back, and it is kind of an art that takes several years. Mm -hmm. Um, And even like, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, talking about what we did at that state SHRM conference, that was adding a whole nother element for me because now I'm embedding it with something that's personally invested. Right. Whereas anytime someone did something could potentially trigger a judgment against me mm-hmm. um, and how to keep that separate and knowing that I'm holding space for you and your growth and it's not about my growth or your judgment of me, 
but it could materialize as somebody taking judgment against me because of what they're going through. And so, I mean, reflective practice is messy. It is unique, I think, to everybody individually. Um, And I think that's why I'm really excited about the next three episodes that we're going to do because we're going to show you what does it actually look like in Mm -hmm. its raw, authentic format um, using a close to a similar format that we used when we were talking about in-state college, using the points of view tools, using abstract items to generate those reflection cycles right. where you're not controlling. It's not a dear diary. Here's what's happened today, which is awesome. Right. But you know, what's the stuff that we don't want to touch. Yes. Um, and there's so much out there that's sitting under the surface. Um, and so I'm really excited to kind of go through that process with you and break them down in the next three of a reflection cycle with both of us doing yeah. it the way that we do it. So, uh, in conclusion, I guess, before we wrap up this episode, is there anything that you want to add for someone, um, who is listening, you know, whether they're just thinking about reflective practice in general or still hesitant or very uncomfortable by this entire conversation, (laughs) but has made it till the end, which kudos to you if you have, because you could have exited at any time. Um, but anything you want to do before we kind of wrap this up and then join them on the next episode uh so the word that comes to mind is timing and the idea that uh the beauty that we have as human beings is we have this gift this this special way of both seeing ourselves presently uh also reflect you know looking back but looking back to take the lesson forward, mm. you know? Um, and so to me, that's what reflection is about. You can't undo, you know, the, the, whatever the event has, you know, it's, it's done, but when it surfaces again, when it surfaces again or a similar, that's when you can take that perfect timing to move forward in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that would be my closing little pearl of insight, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Heart of It. And Tony, thank you for joining me today. Sure. And um, Tony will be here for the next three episodes that's with right. me. Um, but we also love to hear your thoughts. So things that were randomly coming to your mind throughout this entire episode as we were talking about this, you know, idea of timing and experiences and whatever random thoughts that you had, you know, jot, jot them down in the comments on the website um, at leadershipisart.com where you can find this um, episode and share with us because we'd love to hear what kind of random thoughts came to mind or how this is sitting with you. Mm-hmm. You know, do you feel a dissonance when we're talking about this or are you um, somewhere in your evolution prof- professionally or even personally that it feels uh, really good and you can help affirm what we're kind of promoting here as because um, for Tony and I, this is a large part of what we do professionally Absolutely. and really is at the core. Yeah, my invitation to people to, if, as they share comments is to to offer how they define reflection, mm. whether it's in practice or, again, 
how they frame it. Yeah. That would be helpful to hear some of those ideas. Oh, there you go. Comment. Tell us your (laughs) definition of reflection. Tell us how this sat with you Mm -hmm. and tell us what really kind of came to mind. I wouldn't say inspire you, but what was bubbling up for you as you were listening to Tony's path, listening to some of those other examples that we've encountered with other individuals. And we will talk to you next time. Yep.